It's the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. And here's your host, that moderate-talking middle-aged man himself, Roger Stroop. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Stroop. This week I present part two of my look at the charts of August 26, 1995. Last week I looked at all of the three charts we cover here, with the notable exception of the top two songs in the UK. In this episode, I talk about those two songs and the story of how the race between them became a national obsession that made headlines around the world. For this wasn't just about bragging rights for a week. It was about a rivalry between bands based on personal animosity, geographical and class difference, and the right to be seen as the standard bearers of a musical movement. This was the Battle of Britpop. Britpop was essentially a collection of British bands who wore their influences on their sleeve, and those influences were entirely artists from the United Kingdom. Those influences could be the the 60 stars like the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks, and the Who, glam rock like Bowie and T-Rex, punk bands like The Clash and The Stranglers, or 80s groups like The Smiths and, and XTC. And many of the songs were unapologetically British in their subject matter and language. These groups were seen as the backlash to both the electronic and sample-driven music that have that had been ruling the pop charts for most of the 90s, and the grim self-seriousness of the grunge rock that was making its way across the ocean from America. The scene started to coalesce in the minds of the public and the press in 1993, when a London band called Suede's glam-influenced debut album became the fastest-selling debut album in British history. After this, other like-minded bands started getting attention and sales. Among the groups who would be labeled Britpop over the next two years were Elastica, Pulp, Sleeper, Echo Belly, Corner Shop, and Supergrass. But by the beginning of 1995, two bands were clearly running in the front of the Britpop pack, Blur and Oasis. Formed in London in 1988, Blur consisted of four students at Goldsmiths College. They got a record deal in 1990, and their 1991 debut album, Leisure, produced two hits, including the top ten, There's No Other Way. But although the album sold well, it was being seen as overly influenced by two dying turn-of-the-decade genres, the rave-influenced Madchester and the gothy shoegaze so named because many of its bands performed while staring down at the floor. Blur's second album, Modern Life is Rubbish, didn't sell as well, but it produced three top 40 singles and sounded more in line of what was now being defined as Britpop. But it was their third album, 1994's Park Life, that launched them to superstardom. The album hit number one, went quadruple platinum, and produced four hits, including two top tens, the bouncy Girls and Boys, which spoofs horny young people going to Mediterranean destinations for holiday debauchery, and the album's title track, 
a celebration of lazy London life that featured verses spoken by Cockney actor Phil Daniels. Oasis, meanwhile, were formed in Manchester in 1991. Originally called The Rain, the band consisted of guitarist Paul Arthurs, bassist Paul McGuigan, drummer Tony McCarroll, and singer Chris Hutton. Hutton was soon fired and replaced with Arthurs' acquaintance, Liam Gallagher. Soon afterward, Gallagher's brother Noel, an aspiring songwriter, joined the group, and soon the Gallagher brothers were in charge of the band's sound and direction, which would be a combination of crunching guitars and Beatlesque pop metal melodies. In 1993, the group was discovered by Alan McGee, who owned, who owned a local label called Creation Records. He signed Oasis, got them a major international deal, and in 1994, they released their debut single, Supersonic. It only reached number 31, but it was a launch pad to something big. They released four more singles that year, and none of them charted lower than number 11. And in August, they released their debut album, Definitely Maybe, which broke Suede's fastest-selling debut album record. public sign of a rivalry between the two bands occurred at the Brit Awards, the UK equivalent of the Grammys. Blur and Oasis came in with four nominations each, but it was the former band who left with the most hardware, taking the prizes for British Album, Single, Group, and Video of the Year. Oasis only took home the trophy for Breakthrough Act of the Year, the one category where they weren't competing head-to-head -head with Blur. When Blur singer Damon Albarn and guitarist Graham Coxon accepted the Group of the Year award, they complimented Oasis, with Albarn even stating that the two bands should share the award. But many wondered if the Gallagher brothers, who had become known for their massive egos and short tempers, felt flattered and humbled or bitter and patronized. The answer would become clearer in April at another award ceremony, this one held by the British music weekly New Musical Express more commonly known as the NME. After the awards were presented, Liam Gallagher reportedly went up to Blur bassist Alex James and started profanely insulting him. In response, a drunk Graham Coxon came up and kissed Liam on the cheek. Later that month, Oasis released Some Might Say, the first single from their upcoming sophomore album, What's the Story, Morning Glory. It debuted at number one, the first chart-topping hit for either band. The night it was announced, Oasis had a celebration party at a club in London's Covent Garden. Damon Albarn came by to offer congratulations, but he was greeted by taunts from Liam about how Oasis had accomplished the one thing Blur hadn't to that point. After that, neither band denied that there was ill will between them with both sides comparing their rivals to bands that at the time were considered uncool. Oasis said that Blur were like the Cockney pub sing-along group Chaz and Dave, while Blur said Oasis were a modern version of Dad Rocker's status quo. For the next three months, 
the bands concentrated on completing their next albums, both scheduled to be released that fall. But the music press continued to stoke the rivalry, mostly by playing up the differences between the two bands. Blur were portrayed as posh college kids from London who prided themselves on cleverness and kink-style observation and satire. Oasis, meanwhile, were working-class lads from Manchester, scrappy underdogs who rooted for Manchester City instead of the richer, more famous Man United. They loved beer, the Beatles, and brawling, often with each other in the case of the latter. It was North versus South, Brain versus Brawn, Rich versus Poor. Both, both bands were part of the same scene, but otherwise, they were polar opposites. You could not be on the fence. You either preferred one or the other. As the summer progressed, both bands were, were preparing to release new singles. Originally, Oasis's single, Roll With It, was to come out first, and Blur's, Country House, the week after. But Damon Albarn became concerned that when Oasis's song, inevitably debuted at number one, the momentum and exposure they received from having the number one song might carry into the next week and prevent Blur from hitting the top spot. So he approached his label and had their release moved up a week. Oasis's label and management briefly considered moving their single's release date in response. But since they had already started promoting it with the original date in mind, they decided to stay the course. The NME picked up on the story, and they put out an issue with a cover styled like a boxing poster, featuring side-by-side -side photos of Albarn and Liam Gallagher, and a headline declaring, British Heavyweight Championship, Blur versus Oasis. The Battle of Britpop was on. We'll talk about the hype and the songs, and find out who won the battle after this. Hi. This is your host, Roger Stroop, letting you know that if you like my point of view on old pop music, you can actually find lots more of it on the Old Man Yells at Music blog. I've been looking back at top 40 charts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and beyond for almost 10 years now, and I've done hundreds of entries and covered thousands of songs from the American, Canadian, and British charts, from the A's to ZZ Top, from Abacab to Zoom. You'll also find my Uneasy Rider tournaments, celebrating the odd ducks of the American Top 40. The 70s tourney is complete, but the 80s one is just getting started, and you can follow along on the blog as it progresses. And of course, you can find links to the latest episode of this podcast and the accompanying YouTube playlists there. So take a look at the Old Man Yells at Music blog, which you can find at bobbyglovescasey.com blogspot.com. Why is it there? You'll have to go there to find out. That's the old man yells at music blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Between August 14th, when the two singles were released, and August 20th, when the new singles chart was announced, the Battle of Britpop was the biggest news story in Britain. All of the country's major newspapers, tabloids and broadsheets alike, gave it extensive coverage and it was a featured story on national TV news broadcasts. There were stories of couples who were divided by their support for opposing bands. And the intensity with which people defended their choice made this seem like an unofficial election, a referendum to determine what band 
were the prime ministers of Britpop. We've talked all about the history and the buildup, but what about the two songs that the bands sent in to fight this battle? What were they like? Which was better? And how do they fit into the band's overall bodies of work? Let's take a look at that right now. Country House is jaunty pop rock with English music hall overtones. The song was inspired by Blur's former manager, who had recently left the city to move into a large country manor. The lyrics tell the story of a man who decides he, is, he has enough money to no longer need to keep striving and accumulating. So he purchases a place away from the urban jungle to rest and heal from his years of stressful lyric. Here are those lyrics. City dweller, successful fella, thought to himself, oops, I've got a lot of money. Caught in a rat race, terminally. I'm a professional cynic, but my heart's not in it. I'm paying the price of living life at the limit. Caught up in the century's anxiety. Yes, it preys on him. He's getting thin. Try the simple life. He lives in a house, a very big house in the country, watching afternoon repeats and the food he eats in the country. He takes all manner of pills and piles up analyst bills in the country. Oh, it's like an animal farm. That's the rural charm in the country. He's got morning glory, and life's a different story. Everything's going jackanory, touched with his own mortality. He's reading Balzac, knocking back Prozac. It's a helping hand that makes you feel wonderfully blind. Oh, it's a century's remedy. For the fainted heart, a new start. Try the simple life. He lives in a house a very big house in the country. He's got a fog in his chest, so he needs a lot of rest in the country. He doesn't drink, smoke, laugh, takes herbal baths in the country. You should come to no harm on the animal farm in the country. The song builds to a big finale, complete with a brass section. And to promote the song, the band produced an elaborate video that paid tribute to the cheeky sex comedy of legendary British TV star, Benny Hill. Everything about the song reflects the massive effort that was put into it. Roll With It, on the other hand, is basic meat and potatoes rock with a lyrical theme that could be summed up in the first line from Oasis's debut single, Supersonic. You need to be yourself. Here's how they express that this time. You gotta roll with it. You gotta take your time. You gotta say what you say. Don't let anybody get in your way. Cause it's all too much for me to take. Don't ever stand aside. Don't ever be denied. You want to be who you'd be if you're coming with me. I think I've got a feeling I've lost inside. I think I'm going to take me away and hide. I'm thinking of things that I just can't abide. I know, I know the roads down which your life will drive. I find the key that lets you slip inside. Kiss the girl. She's not behind the door. But you know, 
I think I recognize your face, but I've never seen you before. And to further create contrast, the song's video merely showed the band on stage, performing it for an enthusiastic audience. The whole package conveys the message that Oasis are simple Northern working class blokes who can't compete with all the flash and wit of the college boys, but they have heart, soul, and fighting spirit. They're not the type of guys who are set up to succeed by British society, but they're doing it anyway. And if you join our side, maybe you can too. So which was the better song? Well, to me, neither song ranks among the best from either of their respective catalogs. They were both chosen because they were encapsulations of their band's overall sound and aesthetic. They were about making the, the biggest splash possible. And to my ears, Country House makes the bigger splash. On August 20th, the winner was declared. By a margin of 274,000 copies to 216,000, the number one song on the UK singles chart dated August 26, 1995 was Country House. Some have attributed Blur's victory to the fact that Country House had two different CD single versions containing different extra tracks. This was common practice in Britain at the time, but Oasis for some reason only released one version of Roll With It. And it seems logical to believe that having that extra option would give Blur an advantage. But regardless, Blur emerged as the winner of the Battle of Britpop, and they marked the occasion by playing the song on the popular BBC TV show, Top of the Pops. In a nod to the rivalry, Alex James wore an Oasis t-shirt. So Blur won the election. But would they remain the undisputed leaders of Britpop Nation for long? Or would an insurgent Oasis find a way to grab power? We'll learn about the aftermath of the Battle of Britpop right after this. Hello, Roger Stroop again. We all know that COVID-19 is hitting small businesses particularly hard, and I have first-hand knowledge of this, as my wife is a home-based music teacher. Right now, she isn't doing lessons at home, but she has been able to teach some of her students over the internet, which got me thinking. You don't have to live in the St. Catharines, Niagara area to learn piano, voice, and or musical theory from Linda's lessons. I've told you before about her years of experience and many satisfied customers. I've also told you you can look up Linda's lessons on Facebook and see videos of her singing. You'll know for sure she knows what she's doing. So if you want to learn music and you think you'd be more comfortable learning over the internet... Take a look at the Linda's Lessons page on Facebook. At the very least, you'll hear an amazing singer, my wife, Linda Quick. Thank you very much. The next phase of the competition between Blur and Oasis was the release of their highly anticipated new albums. Blur's The Great Escape came out on September 11th, and Oasis's What's the Story Morning Glory was released on October 2nd. Both albums inevitably debuted at number one. But while Blur's album went triple platinum, Oasis sold over five times as many copies of What's the Story Morning Glory, which currently ranks as the fifth 
best-selling album in British history, ahead of Michael Jackson's Thriller, and behind and behind only greatest hits collections by Queen and ABBA, the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and Adele's 21. And while the three further singles from The Great Escape all made the top ten, Morning Glory's two other singles, Wonderwall and Don't Look Back in Anger, hit number two and number one, respectively. And for the coup de grace, Oasis managed to capture the Holy Grail, success in America. What's the story Morning Glory went quadruple platinum in the U.S.? Multiple songs were hits on rock and alternative radio, and Wonderwall got to number eight on the Hot 100. The Great Escape, in comparison, only hit number 150 in the US on the U.S. album chart and sold just over 100,000 copies there. By the summer of 1996, it was clear that while Blur may have won the battle of Britpop, Oasis had routed them in the war that followed. So what happened afterward? Let's start with Oasis. Not only did Oasis take Britpop to the next level, they moved to the forefront of a wider British cultural movement known as Cool Britannia, buoyed by a booming economy and the goodwill created by a successfully staged Euro 96 soccer tournament, the Cool Britannia label was applied to everything from movies like Trainspotting to magazines like Loaded, fashion designers like Alex McQueen, visual artists like Damien Hirst, and even a politician, Tony Blair, who would lead the Labour Party to victory in 1997, ending 18 years of conservative rule. Even non-Britpop music became part of it, most notably the Spice Girls, who provided one of Cool, Brita cool Britannia's defining images when Jerry Ginger Spice Hallowell wore a spangly Union Jack dress at the 1997 Brit Awards. But Oasis were the figureheads, and they maintained that status by keeping themselves in the press with quotes and antics while working on their follow-up to What's the Story Morning Glory. The band had already gone through their first lineup change, with Tony McCarroll being replaced on drums by Alan White shortly after the re release of the Some Might Say single. And the sessions for the third album were tumultuous, marked by drug use and infighting. But when the promotion for the album began, things seemed to pick up where they left off. In July 1997, the first single, Do You Know What I Mean, debuted at number one, and the album, Be Here Now, did the same the next month, setting the record for the best opening week of sales in UK history. So what happened afterward? Let's start with Oasis. Not only did Oasis take Britpop to the next level, they moved to the forefront of a wider British cultural movement known as Cool Britannia, buoyed by a booming economy and the goodwill created by a successfully staged Euro 96 soccer tournament the Cool Britannia label was applied to everything from movies like Trainspotting to magazines like Loaded, fashion designers like Alex McQueen, visual artists like Damien Hirst, and even a politician, Tony Blair, who would lead the Labour Party to victory in 1997, ending 18 years of conservative rule. Even non-Britpop music became part of it, most notably the Spice Girls, 
provided one of Cool, Brita cool Britannia's defining images when Jerry Ginger Spice Hallowell wore a spangly Union Jack dress at the 1997 Brit Awards. But Oasis were the figureheads, and they maintained that status by keeping themselves in the press with quotes and antics while working on their follow-up to What's the Story Morning Glory. The band had already gone through their first lineup change, with Tony McCarroll being replaced on drums by Alan White shortly after the re release of the Some Might Say single. And the sessions for the third album were tumultuous, marked by drug use and infighting. But when the promotion for the album began, things seemed to pick up where they left off. In July 1997, the first single, Do You Know What I Mean, debuted at number one, and the album, Be Here Now, did the same the next month, setting the record for the best opening week of sales in UK history. But just nine days after Be Here Now was released, Diana, Princess of Wales, was killed in a car crash in Paris. All of a sudden, the national mood switched from celebration to mourning. Cool Britannia was over, and the latest shenanigans of the Gallagher brothers no longer seemed as headline-worthy. Be Here Now produced another number one and a number two single, but it sold less than half as much of its predecessor. Two years later, Paul Arthurs and Paul McGuigan left, replaced by Jem Archer and Andy Bell. The band released four more multi-platinum albums and had 13 more top 10 hits, including four number ones. Alan White left before the last two albums, and the band used a couple different drummers, including Zach Starkey, the son of Ringo Starr. But tensions between the Gallagher brothers finally boiled over, and in August of 2009, Noel Gallagher announced his departure, and Oasis called it quits shortly afterward. Since then, Noel has put out three albums with a new band, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, while, Lou, while, while Liam made two albums with a band called Beady Eye before putting out a pair of solo albums. But the two haven't yet patched up the differences between them that caused the, the band's split. Not even the recent successes of their beloved Manchester City team have been able to bring them together again. Blur, meanwhile, did not seem to dwell on being upstaged by their rivals. Their next album was self-titled, and it produced four hits, including their second and last number one, Beetlebum, and its second single, Song Two, a punky pop rocker whose chorus is punctuated by Albarn's cries of woohoo. While it didn't become a hit in the tr traditional sense, got enough airplay and exposure in TV shows, movies, commercials, and sports arenas to become their most famous song in America. And it helped the album go gold. The group would have seven more hits and two more albums. The second, Think Tank, without Graham Coxon, who left the band under amicable circumstances, before going on hiatus in 2004. By then, Damon Albarn had branched out. In the late 90s, he teamed up with comic book artist Jamie Hewlett to create Gorillaz, a hip-hop and dance music act whose songs were performed by four animated characters. Their 2001 debut was a hit on both sides of the Atlantic, but it was their second album, 
2005's Demon Days that really made a splash. It went double platinum in the U.S., sold twice as many copies as any Blur album in Britain, and produced the international smash Feel Good, Inc. They put out four more albums since, and in 2017, they even recorded a track with none, with none other than Noel Gallagher, who has apparently become, a, become friends with Albarn in recent years, after once being quoted as wishing he and his bandmates would die of AIDS during the height of the Blur Oasis feud. As for Blur, the group, including Coxon, reunited for a series of shows in the summer of 2008, including a headlining set at the famous Glastonbury Festival. More shows, a documentary, and a couple of singles followed in the next few years, and in 2015, the band released their first album in 12 years, The Magic Whip, which gave them their sixth number one on that chart. After touring in support of the album, they took another hiatus, interrupted only by a one-off show in 2019. No further records or performances are planned of, as of now, but Albarn isn't ruling out the possibility. Now it's time for Old Man Yells at You. This week's recommendations are pretty straightforward. For Blur, I'm going to recommend the 2000 collection Blur The Best Of. It's got all the hits from their golden period. For Oasis, I'm going to recommend their, their debut album, Definitely Maybe. To me, that's got the best stuff they ever did, especially Supersonic and Live Forever. And third, I'll suggest having a listen to Gorilla's Demon Days, whether you've heard it or not. That may be the best music anyone associated with either of these bands has ever made. And I'll throw in a bonus recommendation. Go and listen to what I think is the best song the Britpop era produced, Common People by Pulp. But make sure it's the Pulp version, not William Shatner's. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. As always, if you like what you've heard, share, subscribe, and leave a review where you found it. You can also leave feedback on the Facebook and Twitter feeds, both of which are at Mr. B. Glovehead, or on the blog post for the episode, which is at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Or you can check out the Instagram account, at Old Man Yells at Music. As always, there's a companion YouTube playlist for this episode, which I link to in the show notes. All lyrics quoted are for purposes of discussion and review. No infringement is intended. Next time on the show, we begin the second round of the Uneasy Writer Tournament, looking at the surviving oddballs from the first two brackets. Until then, I'm Roger Stroop, saying, I got my head checked by a jumbo jet. Wasn't easy, but nothing is. Woo-hoo! Stay safe.